we both had our own individual journey and evolution, you know, to where we are at today. But then at the same time, we rode that journey together and rebuilt our family and marriage. And so we really want to show the world that there is hope. There is there is ways to do this. There, you just have to have that open mind and that open heart and, and really, you know, not even just believe in the future, but know it. Know it with such conviction and such determination and you don't care what anybody says. You know, that that is what led us here. That, and, and not even just me and my, you know, outlook on things. It was Nikhil fighting his own fight too. There's like a deeper meaning behind all of this. Like it's, it's how you were raised, what you were taught, what you were conditioned to believe. This is the Desi Condition. What's up, Bondus? This is the Desi Condition. I'm your host, Tanushri. And today we have two guests with us, Nikhil Torsiker and Shelly Sue, talking about their mental health story. Before I have them introduce themselves, I just want to look back a little bit at the work that I've done with TDC. And I know that a lot of it has been so much about personal stories and personal wellness and mental health. And this is kind of the ethos of the Desi condition. Um, but inevitably, and we have mentioned this many times before, inevitably, mental health is going to affect the people around you, your friends, your family, and etc. So in this particular episode, I'm excited to talk about family mental health. And so we have a story of a married couple coming together or coming apart and then coming back together due to quite an amazing mental health story. So I'm happy to introduce Shelly Sooth and Nikhil Thorsikar. Hi, you. both of you. How are you? Hey, we're good. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for joining. So do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are, what you do? Yeah. Shelly, you want to go first? Yeah. So I'm Shelly Sood. I'm an author, entrepreneur, mother of three. Uh, I am Nikhil's wife. We live in Chicago, Illinois suburbs. Um, a little bit about myself. We launched a company in 2018 in uh, stem cell therapy and partnered with a company called Geostar. So that's been exciting. Um, what else? And I'm an author of the book Untethered. So. Which you are working to turn into a film, I see. Yes, we are. That's very Thank exciting. You. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so I'll go next. Uh, my name is uh, Nikhil Torsikar, and uh, I have been Shelly and I have been married for uh, it'll be 21 years at the end of this month. Um, I there's a lot of different attributes to my story, I guess, but I guess the one that's most relevant to this discussion uh, is the fact that I had suffered from bipolar disorder for more than two decades, was undiagnosed. Um, finally, got the diagnosis uh, with Shelly's help about uh, seven years. Oh well, no, it's five years ago, five and a half years ago. Um, and basically, I mean, bipolar disorder is something that uh, had affected my life for quite some time. Uh, but the diagnosis, I think, was something that really helped me uh, get on the road to recovery. Uh, and now, as Shelly mentioned, uh, we launched a company called Geostar about four years ago. And uh, it's been a very exciting journey, uh, just helping her with, uh, with marketing. Uh, we co-authored a book. And as of now, uh, very excited about some of the work we're doing with mental health advocacy, uh, just helping not only tell our story, but talking to people out in the field who are either practicing, uh, so, you know, 
devising solutions for the problem, have suffered through the problem themselves and uh, everything in between. So really excited to be here. So thanks for having us on the show, Tenorshree. Thank you. So how did this whole journey of this mental health awareness, how did this start for both of you? And maybe Shelly, we can start with you. So for me, it really started way back in 2016. I'd say, well, actually 2015 when our marriage exploded and my husband filed for divorce. And it was kind of at that moment that I had this epiphany and I started to really understand what was going on with him. It was almost like this just full enlightenment that I never experienced in my life. Like I had subconsciously known that there was bipolar disorder, but I I failed to recognize it. I failed to really look at the symptoms and, you know, open my heart and my mind to understanding it. And it was only when it trickled into our personal lives and our marriage crumbled and my life crumbled right before my very eyes that I started to really grasp what's going on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of an interesting story because, uh, you know, Indi- mental health in the Indian culture is something that it's really a new concept. You know, it's something that because of our culture, because of being part of that uh, immigrant culture, that model minority myth, uh, it's something that uh, I always like to say it's like the elephant in the room. And it, the 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 really interesting wrinkle to this whole thing is the fact that Uh, There's two aspects. One is uh, my father was a psychiatrist. uh, And the second thing is that my mother, even though she never got the diagnosis, exhibited a lot of the symptoms of uh, bipolar disorder. Uh, So it's something I've lived with for pretty much all my life. And uh, again, because of stigma, because of the need to maintain that stoic, uh, keep your heads down uh, ethos, really is not something I wanted to face until uh, I had to hit rock bottom. And then, you know, with Shelly's help and through some work that I did, I uh, was able to uh, come out on the other end, which is uh, where, where I am right now. So, Shelly, you mentioned that you had seen some signs of this bipolar disorder in him and then marriage started to fall apart. It seems like, is it, am I correct in assuming that there was kind of an episode where things got worse than maybe they normally were? Yeah. So, you know, he had had a lot of problems at work. He had had difficulties and animosity with coworkers, but I never really saw that because he was traveling four or five days a week out of the week, every single week. So he'd come home on the weekends. So really, you know, when I started to understand what was happening, like I said, it was in 2015 timeframe and he became more um, belligerent, more animosity towards me, kind of emotionally abusive, just a totally different person. It, it was It was frightening. I mean, he had this I will never forget this totally stoic look on his face. Like there was no feeling or emotion left in him. Like literally he had left his body. Um, And and it was really the most frightening moment of my life. And I remember it so vividly to this day because I, I don't even know how to describe it. It was almost like the Nikhil I knew was gone at that moment. Mm hmm. And, you know, he said, the marriage is over, I'm done. And those words, I'm done, uh, really set me off for years, you know, to come. I didn't even realize it, but it it created this response in me, this, you know, triggering of uh, the parasympathetic or the sympathetic nervous system where I couldn't handle 
um, those words over and over. And so I had a lot of healing I needed to do after that traumatic experience, but that was probably one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. Where were you when this happened? We were in a cabin out in Wisconsin and we were dropping our kids off to go to camp. Uh, our two older kids. And we had a little baby at the time who's now eight, almost eight years old this month, but um, we were dropping them off and it was a, it was a isolated cabin in Surrey, Wisconsin. Um, you know, not a lot of amenities. There were <laughs> barely, there was electricity, there was running water. I mean, it was one of those cabins you see on Airbnb that markets really well, but then you go there and it's a hole in the wall. <laughs> So it, it was kind of the perfect setting for all of this to take place. Um, and, you know, they had one little local grocery store. They had, you know, older people that lived next door with a communal grill. And But it, it was somewhat pretty, you know, it was on the lake. And so we thought we would rekindle our marriage because we had been fighting for a couple of weeks, but but really, you know, terrible fights fights that we had never had in our entire marriage and all the ups and downs, because like I said, it never really trickled into the relationship. So um, that's kind of where it happened. So Nikhil, had, is this something that the, had been building up in your mind for a while or was it, I, I know that you, you know, Shelly mentioned there, there was already some fighting going on, but the actual thought of I'm done with this relationship, had that been occurring in your mind at all or... Did that just kind of happen when you got to Wisconsin? Yeah. Um, I definitely want to uh, use a word that you had mentioned in one of your talks. I saw your talk about the International Bipolar Foundation, and that's uh, intersectionality. There was just a big confluence mm. of factors that uh, just sort of converged, and it was, as they say, a perfect storm. Um, because as Shelly mentioned before, you know, I was traveling uh, quite a bit, traveling four or five days a week. Uh, the work environment was such that you know, I was in consulting at one of the top firms, working in financial services, working in uh, Manhattan. So I was in this universe that was very type A, very cutthroat. And uh, because of that, because of that um, ethnic component, that's that was my definition of uh, making it, you know, just having a very work hard, play hard, uh, work hard, play hard kind of environment. Um so, you know, there was a lot of things that played into it. I mean, in addition to just the tight deadlines, in addition to uh, just the, you know, very little amount of sleep, the drinking, the partying, um, that just really sort of frayed my nerves. And so there was a lot of um, irritability. Um, I think the other the other factor is, um, you know, I talk about this a lot on the on our podcast, but so social media is definitely the there's there's it's a double edged sword because obviously through, you know, initiatives like yours, the Daisy condition, there's definitely a lot of scope for community. But then the darker side of that is just there's always that desire to keep up with the Joneses. And, you know, I, I saw a lot of times on my friends walls, uh, you know, they were taking uh, trips to Fiji. They were, you know, making partner at their firm. And, you know, instead of acknowledging all that I had, I was always looking at the gap between, you know, my my existence and the carefully curated pictures that all my friends had on all these other channels. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think the, the third thing is, uh, well, you know, we'll we'll we won't go into the biochemical aspect of it. That's a whole other discussion. Um, but I think, yeah, I just just also 
toxic relationships. Uh, I will say that it's difficult in the Indian community because we're such a collectivist culture that, you know, we, our family bonds are everything. Uh, but a lot of that played into it on both sides, because I think um, with Shelley's parents, they're the most wonderful people you'll ever meet. Uh, but there is a little bit of controlling. There is a little bit of a desire to weigh in on a lot of things. They're like the stereotypical auntie and uncle <laughs> that has to, to has to give their two cents on everything. Uh, but then also <laughs> my, my parents, I think there was a lot of need to um, just sort of placate them. And uh, just anytime there was some minor skirmish or minor drama in, in our marriage, I didn't I didn't handle it well. I always talked to them and 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 sort of that um, swirling and all that discussion would kind of a- amplify the chaos in my mind. So uh, you combine that booyah base of factors and that's what sort of culminated in the marriage, uh, you know, exploding at that point. Exactly. And, and I feel like, you know, I, I somewhat I married, obviously, the entire family. So when there was a disaster or something that's happened within the family, I would go to Nikhil's parents. I'd go to my parents, you know, and slowly as the years progressed, he was kind of organically shutting down or moving away from me or we were having less and less discussions on a personal level. And there was a little bit of a slow detachment that would occur naturally because he was traveling one thing. So that was difficult to maintain a relationship. And two, because, you know, as he'd have manic episodes, you become more a lot of times narcissistic, self-involved. And so he would talk all the time and he'd talk about his coworkers and other people constantly. And I mean, it, it just got tiring too, frankly. So I would sort of switch it off in my mind and, and not really want to hear it. And it's not to say we had a lot of problems in our marriage because I don't feel that at all. We had amazing times together. But this was just something organically that happened over time. And because of our collective outlook on things, I would turn to my mother for support. You know, like, well, okay, the child's doing this. What do you think we should do? Or whatever came up in our lives, I'd start to turn to my mother. I'd start to turn to my father. And so it became sort of a, um, you know, somewhat control from their end, yes, but sort of a codependency from our end as well. Mm-hmm. So... Nikhil says he's done. You are in shock. What happens next within you and also with the in-laws and your parents and the kids? I called my mother-in-law. I I had a complete emotional meltdown at that moment. Uh, I tried to talk to him. He wouldn't talk to me. He felt like I was you know, physically somewhat abusing him when I was doing nothing of the sort. So there there must have been something else going on there, whether that was paranoia or a bit of, you know, delusion being delusional. I, I don't know to this day, but it was definitely a very out-of-body strange experience. And after that initial shock and, you know, the crying was done and everything, I turned to his mother-in-law and, and that and my mother-in-law, and that's exactly who I turned to in my moments of need and desperation, because after all, his dad was a psychiatrist. You know, like we knew through the years, his mother had some ups and downs and had a lot of, you know, mental instability that she showed us, but yet she was still our rock. You know, they were both still our rocks. Well, yeah, I mean, I think um, in my parents' defense, I'll never, I'll never 
fault them per se. I mean, there's things that they've done that I'm not that 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 were very destructive in our relationship, but I think their intentions were good. And as Shelly mentioned, uh, my dad was a psychiatrist. He's retired now. Um, and I know they wanted to help, but it was just that they were limited. And I think that was the main difference is their views of psychiatry is that my dad, obviously very well credentialed uh, psychiatrist, had seen a lot over the years. And so I think he tried to apply his insight to what was going on. And again, it's not a comparison, but Shelly's parents like a lot of Indian parents, especially in that generation, were very dismissive of psychiatry. You know, I remember her dad one time telling her dad telling my dad, oh, I wish I had your job. I just sit around and talk to people all day, you know, <laughs> really just like wow. making him seem like a, <laughs> like brother. a glorified bartender, basically. <laughs> um, so, again, it's not limitations on anyone's part. It's just that there's those biases. And, yeah, as Shelly said, because they seemed a little bit more seemed a little bit more understanding of at least the environment and the causational factors, that was our national natural inclination was to turn to them. Mm-hmm. So you said your dad was a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. What was his role in kind of diagnosing what was happening within the marriage or trying to get you any help? Yeah, so it's... I guess it really depends on the year we're talking about because there was that, that one of the challenges was there was no consistency is that sometimes uh, he would say, you know, it's just it's like a lot of Indian parents, you know, it's all in your head. Just, you know, walk it off. Um, just that's so yeah. interesting to that, me that even he would do yeah. that. Maybe maybe it's because do you think maybe it's because like, you're his son? He just didn't really uh, want to see it. That's what I was going to get into is just that a lot of times okay. there's some clinical detachment. And I think that's true for all doctors. They say that doctors are usually the worst patients. You know, you have cardiologists who are chain smokers. You have, you know, a- a- alcoholic um, liver specialists. You know, So uh, with my dad, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it's just. You're spending 10 hours a day talking to people with depression or schizophrenia or, you know, all a myriad of conditions. The last thing you want to do is come home, which is supposed to be like your sanctuary and see that that's in place at home. So I think a lot of time there's there's this temptation to just say, you know, I've got all my stuff together. You know, there's no way this can exist under our roof. And in in fact, in an email to Shelley one time, he said in capital letters, there is no history of mental illness in our family, you know, very, (laughs) very conclusive. But, you know, then there would be other Mm -hmm. times where he would say, yeah, well, so, so going, building on that, sometimes he would say, because, you know, I was, I was going to business school, uh, taking care of the kids, working a full-time job, you know, just a very jam-packed schedule, very stressful. And sometimes, you know, I'd come to them and I'd be very down, very depressed. And at one point, you, you know, he thought it was depression. And if you know anything about bipolar disorder, um, if you try to treat dep- if you try to treat the disorder as if it's depression, that's literally like putting a match on a on a big uh, pile of logs, basically like a pile of logs get <laughs> dunking in gasoline. Because if you don't have the mood stabilizer, you know that can that can kick off a whole host of um, manic episodes. And then I'd say the last thing is just frustration, because I think. Um, it, it was just a, la- a sense that he didn't have control over things. And finally, that was the that was the coda there where he just kind of threw his hands up and said, you know, you're on your own to Shelly, you know, three days before uh, everything really came to a head. 
Mm. So what was your turning point, Shelley, where you realized that, okay, something needs to happen, he needs treatment, and I've decided that we're not done with this marriage? So that's a tough one because, you know, it, my moods kind of evolved with what Nikhil was going through too. I, I rode that roller coaster of moods. So I can't really say that there was a definitive moment that that occurred. Um, but I really did know from the very start after the crying subsided in Wisconsin and everything that he had this disorder. But I didn't go to his parents and say, he's got this disorder. Um, I actually just went to them, him, his dad, and said, these are the symptoms that I'm seeing throughout the years. Please do something. And I think that was probably one of the most important conversations I had with him because it gave a full picture, clinically speaking, from a family member, not just the depressive episodes or not just the depression, because like the kill said, when you treat it with just as depression, it can be very disastrous and trigger mm -hmm. mania. But it gave a full picture of the mania as well as the depression kind of giving him an idea of how to diagnose it, clinically speaking. Now, the other problem that we had was that it didn't matter what his father said at that point. So I needed confirmation that I wasn't losing my mind, that I knew he had this bipolar disorder from the experts, from psychiatrists. So I would go out and I talk to a family, a dear family friend that's a psychiatrist as well, as well as Nikhil's dad, as well as several other local psychiatrists. Um, with regards to the marriage, if I want to address that question, uh, my focus was on the marriage also initially. But as time progressed, I, I it wore me down. I, I was I, I felt like there was so much damage in the marriage emotionally that it was gonna be hard to repair. And my focus at that point, maybe about six to twelve months into this saga, was his health and that's it. That's, that's all I cared about. I wanted him to be able to be a good father to our children. So I would motion the courts for 604 evals, psychiatric evaluations, uh, just whatever I could think of to help him. Okay, interesting. So it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like your trying to get him help wasn't so much about you in the marriage. It was really was about how he is as a person, because, you, of course, you want him to be there for the kids. Um, and then as a happy byproduct, I guess uh, it, it ended up working out with the marriage. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we even started dating other people. So mm. we were pretty emotionally broken off. But then we still had this deep, deep connection that neither one of us wanted to fully let go of, if that makes sense. Mm. Okay. So as I understand it, you got very close to actually going through with the divorce. Was there a turning point there? Yeah, we got dangerously close. So after his dad, his parents kind of slammed the door in my face with regards to an intervention that you know, ironically speaking, three days later was the point in time where he actually eventually came to me um, and was rock bottom and had lost his job and had, you know, no place to live and um, realized the damage he had done and was slowly, you know, falling into one of the deepest, darkest depressions I had ever witnessed. 
What is it about bipolar that is, and I've heard this a lot, that it's always misdiagnosed as depression. What is it about bipolar that is always mistaken for depression? Yeah, I can I can speak to well, that, actually. Oh, um, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. having been through it a, a few times, I mean, I would say that, you know, for people with mania, um, a lot of times, I mean, there's there's two different forms. Of, there's 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 hypomania, then that which is sort of I don't want to say it's minor, but mania is more prolonged. It's more intense. And so I had gone through hypomanic periods before um, quite a few times. And I always say, like in our book, I say hypomania or mania was like a, it was almost like a magic elixir uh, because it was it was it gave me this energy and this drive uh, to really put my head down and work. Now, granted, a lot of times, you know, the productivity didn't exactly match the, the outcome didn't match what I had in my head, but there was a lot of creativity. There was a lot of energy. Um, but eventually with this, these types of episodes, eventually, you know, the gas tank hits empty and then you fall into a depression. Now, the thing is when you're in a depression, um, let me back up, I guess when you're in a manic phase and you're speaking at conferences and you're making all these friendships and you're just, you know, the talk of the town, um, there's no desire to get treatment. Why would anyone want that to end? You know, it's like, sign me up. I'd love that. Right. Um, Mm -hmm, so that's mm -hmm. the thing is just that I would fall into a depression and that was really the only time when I would be receptive, uh, receptive to treatment. Um, I always equate it to the movie limitless, uh, with Bradley Cooper, um, I don't know if you've seen that movie, but basically, you know, he's on this mm. pill called NZT and he's able to, you know, make all these connections and he, you know, just k- is killing it in the stock market. And then, you know, the, the 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 pill wears off and then he falls into a depression. And that's the thing is just that there's always just that one dimensional cross section of the patient's condition that the therapist sees when the person hits rock bottom, because, the other side of it is when you're manic, you're very um, magnetic. You know, you're very, at least in, in my case, I know Shelly can speak to it. Um, there's a lot of um, the ability to kind of sweet talk your way into anything. You can convince anyone of anything. And that's what happened with me is I was able to fool the therapist. I was able to fool uh, the lawyers. You know, they basically thought I had everything together when Shelly had the full 360 degree view of it. So that's why it's just that when the patient finally comes to seek treatment, the therapist is just um, the therapist is just responding to the data that's right in front of them, not necessarily the the trends before that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Some of these symptoms that you're describing, how did that manifest in your relationship with your parents, Shelley, the kids? If you have a couple of examples or something. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, so it's interesting with my parents because, again, and I, 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 I know they have good intentions, but um, when I was manic or hypomanic, like I said, uh, there was a lot of creativity. There was a lot of energy. Um, I won't get into it in, on this podcast, but, you know, I have a pretty good sense of humor. I'm able to do a lot of impersonations. And um, so I was incorporating that into my day to day where I was cracking jokes and I was telling anecdotes and Unfortunately, I mean, a lot of this formed the crux of my relationship with my parents, where the bulk of our conversations were just, you know, gossip and, you know, just talking smack about people that I worked with. 
And um, so that's that was really playing in. It was like this, you know, constant circle of, of negativity. Um, and then when I was depressed and, and that's the thing is just that um, there was very little sleep. And I mean, sleep is essential. Sleep is essential. It's like breathing. It's like drinking water. It's food. I mean, it's so essential to good health. Well, with my mom, because she was sleeping like three hours a night. She was like, way to go, son, you know, like you're, you're back. You know, this is, this is a good thing that you're able to, you know, survive on sleep, sleep, um, sleep's overrated, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then when, you know, the, when the, as I said before, when the gas tank would hit empty, um, and then I would fall into a deep depression, um, my dad would actually say like, oh, you know, uh, this will teach you to be humble. You know, it's just like after, you know, losing a job or, you know, failing a certification exam, that was always kind of like the, oh, see, I told you so. So obviously that was not a very <laughs> healthy relationship. Um, I'd say with Shelly, you know, um, again, because I think she saw those periods where I was very uh, caring and sweet and, and um, there was a lot of turmoil, you know, there was a lot of I think she was willing to push things under the rug for a while. She was just saying, oh, you know, he's going through a tough time. I'll just you know, walk it off. It's kind of, uh, it just goes with the territory. Um, but eventually I think it led to her pulling away from the marriage. And I think turning to her parents, especially her mom, and sometimes even my brother, uh, as the person, because a lot of times it was, it was the Nikhil show. It was me just rambling, you know, complaining about people all the time. Um, and then with my kids, I mean, unfortunately, I just think that there was too much of a temptation to make it the Nikhil show, you know, great dad, you know, great, great coworker, uh, you know, just a lot of it was just based on these snapshots. Uh, those, as I said before, those carefully curated pictures of our reality. When in fact, I mean, I don't remember what my daughter said, but she was kind of like, yeah, I didn't even really know who you were. You know, I just figured you were this guy who would show up on the weekends put on the Spotify playlist oh and then, you know, you'd be on a plane on Sunday, which is like a little bit of an exaggeration, but you know, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty, you know, pretty stark. And I mean, the people that knew him back then, like his parents, for example, or his brother, you know, the sad thing is they, they'll never know his true personality because he was really sick and cycling constantly for so many years and we didn't know. And so you mesh that personality with the individual and you don't see what they're like today and how different things are. It's sad. You just, you'll never know because that disease, the mental disease literally becomes that person. Unfortunately, it's not a physical ailment. It's not you're getting treatment for diabetes or heart disease or anything like that, where you can go to the doctor and they'll help you out as much as they can. It, It is something so abstract and so difficult to put your finger on. Um, even the diagnosis is difficult. You know, a lot of times the doctors thought, oh, it's a personality disorder. It's narcissistic personality disorder. Oh, he's a he's a soci- he's sociopathic or, you know, there were just so many different uh, outlooks to what was going on with him. And when you have so many different things playing into play, when there's family, family dynamics, when there's uh, cultural issues, you know, not issues, but, you know, cultural elements when there is, you know, potentially mental illness within the family itself, 
you know, then there it, it just becomes a hot mess, as well as the inability to really understand mental illness. Like we we came from a family of four physicians, mind you. So highly educated family, and there was still tremendous amount of limitation to mm-hmm. understand um, the root of mental illness, that these are real disorders that need to be treated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by a lot of the things that you're both saying, it seems like it's also something that is just easy to miss because of, you know, the the Nikhil show, this happy guy who's making jokes and everything. I can definitely see why somebody would think, oh, it's just, you know, a cyclical depression, perhaps episodic depression. I can definitely see that happening. So how are things now? I, as I understand it, you are receiving treatment. Um, actually, let's rewind a little bit to how are things after you did start receiving treatment? Um, in terms of obviously, you know, with the marriage, but in your working life and perhaps with your parents, yeah. how did things change? Um, well, I, I guess a couple different quadrants there. Um, I would say uh, with the family. Yeah, that's the big yeah, question. <laughs> with the family, I would say it's, I mean, it was like night and day. And I mean, it wasn't a snap your fingers and everything's hunky dory by any means because. There was a lot of uh, apprehension, especially on my daughter's part and Shelly's part, too. I mean, I know she was trying to help me, but, you know, it's it's hard to turn around and think of, and forget all the things that had been said and done. And, you know, just there was so much trauma that was just literally like it was very raw. So, I mean, I think that I mean, I'm amazed that we were able to uh, get on better footing. There were some, you know some blow-ups here and there. Uh, But I'd say for the most part with Shelly, I'd say that, you know, sort of turned a corner pretty easily, uh, relatively. I'd say with my daughter, it was very difficult because at the time she was 12. And, you know, I think she had to grow up very quickly because she's, she was basically uh, Shelly's therapist in a sense, because it was like, she was always there. And, you know, she saw Shelly break down and, you know, mm. and she's at the age where she kind of like is aware of what's yeah. happening too. And, and yeah. you add to that just the regular drama that 12 year olds face. I mean, you think about just their right. hormones are out of whack, the drama at school. Yeah. Um, so I think it was very difficult for her because the other f- aspect of that was initially, like we were talking about the Nikhil show. Initially, it was a lot of fun for her because, you know, I was taking her to Lush. I was taking her to, you know, really nice restaurants, uh, doing all the fun stuff. And I was like the nice, I was like the fun dad versus Shelly, who was like the disciplinarian. So, you know, initially there was that high, uh, but then, you know, with the skirmishes, with the constant turmoil in our, in our relationship, I think it really took a nosedive. So initially I think she was really concerned, um, with, with Sean, uh, our youngest was like one at the time. So it's, you know, I don't even, he's sort of has. He has glimpses of of kind of what happened, but I don't think it's really, you know, um, a reality for him. Uh, Middle one, um, again, I think since he was younger, uh, it was a little bit uh, a little bit easier Um, with my family, unfortunately. And I mean, you know, uh, the story, the the jury's still out, as they say. I mean, um, unfortunately, there was never really there was this kind of like apology, like. There's that song, whatever I did, I didn't mean it. <laughs> like, I think like whatever I did, I'm sorry. Like, I, it's just kind of like this, sorry, but not sorry. I don't know. It was just this, I know in their hearts, maybe they're, it's it's tough for them to discuss, but 
you know, we don't have, we don't really communicate that much now. I mean, it's like on birthdays or, you know, anniversaries or something, we'll send a, a message. But, you know, unfortunately, uh, it's, uh, it's the, the relationship is, it's non-existent at this point. Um, but I'd say with Shelly's parents... Is that as a result of what happened with the episode? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because the thing is, Shelly, again, was trying to get me help. Um, mm-hmm. And again, like, because of the inconsistency... Uh, that finally sort of devolved into this, you know, wiping your hands of it. Um, because of that, I know Shelly, it was very difficult for her to try to uh, re- rebuild a relationship. I mean, she said to me, it's completely up to you if you want to rebuild it. And maybe that'll happen down the road. I don't know. But for me right now, just because um, there's always triggers, you know, there's always things that'll take you back. And um, it's, it's really tough for me to, to try to, um, rebuild, or I would honestly say build that relationship. Um, but you know, Shelly and her parents, I've been very supportive, um, despite kind of, you know, what, uh, what, what I had really put everybody through. So, um, and I, and I guess, uh, if we can talk about like work, I had to really do some soul searching and figure out, you know, what, what made me happy and what, to be honest, what I could handle, you know, because financial services is a very cutthroat, very volatile field. And, you know, travel, getting on a plane on a Sunday morning or on a Monday morning and, you know, just living out of a suitcase, that is not, I, I could never do that again. Um, so I've been fortunate that I've been able to uh, take on a marketing role with, uh, with Geostar, uh, the company that Shelly and I work on together. Um, and also this, this is like kind of a second chapter with the mental health, uh, aspect, you know, writing the book, working on the movie. Um, as I mentioned, we have our podcast. Um, so that's kind of in the nascent stage right now. We'll see where it goes, but, um, I'm just really excited by the chance to, you know, engage with folks like yourself, um, talk to people in the mental health space and also, um, tackle it from a cultural aspect, because I think that that's something that's so important right now, just the South Asian uh, journey with mental health. Let's take a quick break from our episode. If you've listened this far, that means you probably like what you're listening to. So why not leave us a rating or a review, hopefully something nice on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and tell all your friends about the show, because you probably don't know this, but the Desi Condition is 100% run by people who do this as a side hobby. I myself, the founder, am a high school math teacher and a graduate student, and everyone involved either goes to school or works full-time. All of this to say that TDC thrives on word of mouth only and doesn't make any money. And we're not trying to make money. We just want to spread the good word about mental health and wellness. So please take a moment to text your friends about this podcast or leave a rating to support the show. Let's go back to our regular content. I want to talk about the book and Geostar I have a couple of questions before I get to that, though. Sure. So, Shelly, you had mentioned that Nikhil's brother, his parents, like, they'll never know who he really is now, now that he's had some treatment and what his personality really is without the disorder. Can you talk about your process separating the person from the disorder, especially after you had mentioned he, you know, he, you know, he was emotionally abusive and all the pain that you had gone through? So that separation took place really early on. 
um, and, and to when we were separated. I, I started to understand that really this is a disorder. I would write letters to him, heartfelt letters explaining, you know, these are the symptoms you're seeing. It's not your fault. It's okay. Um, please, you know, seek treatment, get help, the help you need. Uh, but it was it was like talking to a wall. But in my heart and in my mind, I remembered all the you know incredible times we did have together. You know, I, I don't want to make it seem like we had this horrible marriage because that was not at all the case. Like the, the interesting thing is that his parents never saw it because every time they came to town for two decades, you know, or however long, you know, they never saw who he really was because he would retreat. Even when my parents came to town, he would totally retreat, be involved in a book, his computer. I would be, you know, gabbing with my mother-in-law, talking to my mother. Uh, you know, we were we had this great dynamic between all of us. And, and he didn't know quite where to really fit in. And so he never really got a chance to show them anything or his his soft side and that beautiful part of him that I fought for, that I fought that entire process to see again. And and so when this whole, whole thing exploded and he pushed back, his parents pushed back, they really did, they, they really said to me that you don't know, you don't know him like we do. We know what he's about. We've known him for 40 years. But the truth of it was they didn't know him at all. And so I was fighting this whole thing, trying to convince them that there was love between us, that there was a marriage between us. But the point is, I cared way too much. You know, I mean, why should I care what anybody thinks of my marriage? And that's another issue. That's amazing. So you really just had to believe it, even though everyone else around you was like, no, 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 no. That's mm -hmm. amazing. That is the power of love. I love to see that. <laughs> yeah that's amazing believing the impossible right yeah. yeah i mean but going i think a lot of it is also the collectivist uh perspective is just that americans it's so much easier to uh rip the band-aid off or cut the cord for us it was uh mm. it wasn't so easy it was uh not to give too much away about the book but it was hard to untether our lives from uh the one that we had uh you know, the one that we had planned, I guess. Yeah. And, and I guess that's why there is today such a disconnect with his family, you know, because, I mean, we don't know where they're at mentally and emotionally at this point in time. It's been so many years since we've really connected at that level. But if they're where we were at six or seven years ago, it, it we'd be polar opposites. We would not be able to really connect or go down that path of destruction ever again. So you mentioned that you both wrote a book together and between the time that we last spoke and now it's only been like a week. So I haven't had a chance to check it out, but I would love to hear more about it. So it's not published yet, but it is complete. Uh, it should be out hopefully next year. Um, it, it's really about, you know, the significance of the title is untethering, untethering your souls as individuals and as a marriage, because we both had our own individual journey and evolution, you know, to where we are at today. But then at the same time, we rode that journey together and rebuilt our family and marriage. And so we really want to show the world that there is hope, there is there is ways to do this. There, you just have to have that open mind and that open heart and, and really, you know, not even just believe 
in the future, but know it. Know it with such conviction and such determination and you don't care what anybody says. You know, that that is what led us here. That, and, and not even just me and my, you know, outlook on things. It was to kill fighting his own fight, too. So it's about this whole story between the two of you and coming out on the other side of it. Um, kind of informational about the aspects of the disorder, I assume. Yeah. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you, out of curiosity, why are you trying to turn it into a movie? I feel like people can really relate to uh, cinematic content uh, at kind of a different level, an emotional level. And I feel like we're going to really be able to reach audiences, not just nationally, but internationally. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like it's really Mm. our moment right now when you have so many South Asian voices coming out. And it's just something that hasn't really been explored. I mean, I know, um, you know, our mutual friend, uh, um, uh, Sujata Day, mutual guest on our, she appeared mm-hmm. on our podcast I was podcast just about to mention well. her. Yeah. Um, through films like uh, Definition Please, um, I, I just really think that it's an underserved market that Indians have always either been portrayed as, you know, the stereotypical, um, you know, like the convenience store operator or uh, the spelling bee champion or just, you know, it's that whole model minority myth. And there hasn't really been that three-dimensional view of uh, people you know, um, uh, folks who are struggling with real complex problems. And it's something that we're hoping uh, when we have more of these discussions, you know, on on your on great podcasts like yours or ours, blog posts, um, it's really just more, it's more than just a movie. I think it's all part of this platform. It's all part of this ecosystem to empower our community. And uh, just, you know, since... It's it's really incredible. Since I've done this podcast, I've had people come to me that I would have had no idea, you know, that that they were struggling with something, whether it was a loved one or it was themselves. You know, they would say, um, you know, this hits one guy said to me, you know, this hits home more than, you know. And, you know, for me, that's more important. Um, those those little micro level impacts, you know, is more important than any viral post. Um, you know, in terms of um, of the impact that our story can have. And I think a book is definitely important, um, but a movie, um, they're not, I don't think they're mutually exclusive or one's better than the other, but mm-hmm. I think a movie is just a nice uh, complement to that. Yeah, I like to think of it kind of as scenario mapping. Mm-hmm. I think of my podcast as different stories where we scenario map different scenarios. So Definition Please, for example, was like a scenario mapping of a story going through this mental health problem together. Um, Interestingly, also bipolar disorder, but also dealing with the aftermath of the father's death in the family and just how it affected their relationships with each other. And, you know, you're here talking about your story in the form of a book, in the form of of a movie. You know, why not have as many mediums as we can? Uh, Mm -hmm. I love it. I think I think it's a great idea and I'm very excited to see it. I hope it goes well. Yeah, we're excited, too. I have another question for you. You mentioned that you both started Geostar together. Tell us a little bit more about that. And as I understand it, something to do with stem cell, and I'm going to stop talking soon because I'm a math teacher and I need to stay in my lane and I don't know anything about stem cell anything. <laughs> um, but as I understand it, it does have some implications for bipolar disorder um, treatment. So I'd love to hear more about that as well. So as I indicated in 2018, you know, after I helped uh, save Nikhil's life, 
uh, with this whole journey of him getting treatment and everything that he needed, I, I had this personal epiphany and I realized, you know, there's nothing better in this world than helping another human being. And so it was kind of me and my evolution of finding my way and finding my career and what I wanted to do. And also, you know, the other segment of it is I, I never wanted to rely on a man ever again. And I, I felt like, you know, when the rug is pulled out from underneath you financially and emotionally and you have nothing left and you've given everything, your whole heart, your whole being to another human being and a family and raising kids, what, where, where's my own joy? You know, so that was kind mm -hmm. of where I was coming from, from both those angles with regards to healthcare and why I pursued a career in healthcare, as well as my own personal fulfillment, my journey. And so I launched this company and I just happened, the universe was on my side <laughs> and I happened to cross paths with Dr. Anand Srivastava, who is a scientist, a brilliant, brilliant mind, who has been in the field of stem cell research, uh, gene therapy, cancer research. I mean, he has done such incredible science in this world. Um, I had the opportunity to partner with him and uh, De Devin Patel, who's a CEO of Geostar. So the company itself has been around for uh, about 25, 25, 30-ish years. So when I cross paths with them, we are able to kind of, you know, leverage their technology, leverage their scientific protocols and whatnot, and be able to help patients with a lot of different degenerative conditions. So it goes beyond, you know, the neuro cases, but, you know, autoimmune conditions and arthritis and, um, you know, Crohn's disease and diabetes. So things like that. So we started, I started the center in 2018. Um, put my whole heart and soul into it. It's like, it's my other baby, aside from my three children, my book, my movie, <laughs> the other baby. <laughs> so, you know, I really uh, engrossed, engrossed myself in my career. My mother joined forces with us. She's a physician. And so she does a little bit of the clinical side as well for patients as well. So we've kind of all, you know, just gone into it and, and love it. And, you know, when it comes to, you had asked about stem cells, I could kind of explain the basis, basics. Mm -hmm. So stem cells are really the building blocks of our entire body. And, you know, um, they are these, uh, they, all our organs produce these stem cells, you know, our organs, our tissues, every bit of our body has, you know, so many cells in it, correct? So what happens is when we get these degenerative conditions, a lot of inflammation occurs. And, you know, this is actually what happened with COVID-19. There were these cytokine storms that attacked our, attacked our body. And, you know, when that inflammation happens at that level, those degenerative conditions like uh, arthritis, like uh, neurological conditions, uh, Parkinson's disease, uh, even, you know, mental disorders like bipolar disorder, those kinds of things can act, can, uh, can show up in our bodies, you know, especially when we have certain genes that get regulated and activated as a result based on our genetic predisposition, uh, based on what we do day to day, how we eat, what, how we treat our bodies. Do we, do we exercise? Do we, you know, have some sort of spiritual 
uh, component to our lives, uh, physical activity, what our thought process is. And, and so it's a whole pool of things. And so, you know, as we go, we learn more and more about holistic health and the importance of holistic health. Well, one of those factors is, you know, stem cell therapy. And so that's where it kind, kind of comes into play with a lot of these conditions. So we help people all around the country and even all around the world with uh, these kinds of disorders. Yeah. And if I could add to that, I mean, stem cell therapy, I'd say is one pillar of a broader approach uh, to managing health, because I think, especially with Western medicine, um, there's great technologies for addressing a lot of these diseases and disorders, but it's a very compartmentalized approach that just looks at the symptoms and just looks at sort of what's on the surface. And sometimes when you treat one disease, you can introduce problems for another one because of, you know, because of drug interactions, because it's a black box and you don't know how these things are going to interact. So with stem cell therapy, I mean, I'm really following Shelly's lead on a lot of this, but um, it's opened our eyes to things like uh, meditation, mindfulness, quantum healing, uh, things like healing the inner child, which I don't think we would have really even thought about if we hadn't looked into stem cell therapy and I, I think you've talked about this on, on your podcast before, but it's, it's, so, it's so bizarre because, you know, we have so much uh, wisdom at our fingertips with, uh, you know, with Ayurveda and a lot of these Vedantic traditions that we haven't really tapped into. Um, and I feel like stem cell therapy, uh, the stem cell therapy, obviously, as a philosophy, but also the founders, they just have such a strong spiritual underpinning that we've really, um, you know, we've really followed, we followed their lead and we've really, you know, gone in full force uh, with meditation, um, you know, with primordial sound, um, med- you know, meditation, all, all the different teachings. I mean, there's so much out there uh, that's just for the taking that you can use to not just, you know, address your diabetes or address your, um, you know, joint issues, but just heal the, the whole body, the whole organism. So. Yeah. And, and what I wanted to add to that is that, you know, traditional medicine is, is so important as well. And I feel like, you know, some people go to extremes with holistic medicine versus traditional medicine. And there's got to be kind of a balance and a happy medium right. because, you know, there are so many different treatments for, you know, so many different ailments. Like if you have certain, if you have, if you break a bone, you know, you have to get surgery and you need traditional medicine. And, and there are certain medications that are really effective as well. So I think it's important for people to understand that there's always that balance between traditional and integrative or holistic health that's really important. And it's got to be somewhat customized to every individual. Mm-hmm. Wow, I had no idea there was this whole gamut of stuff that stem cell could do. Whenever I, I think like my kind of word association has always been stem cell research for cancer, um, but I had no idea how holistic it was. It's so fun to learn new things. Thank you so much for educating me today. Sure. Yeah, I think I think sure. Americans really need to wake up to it, you know, because it's just like so many people. I think. If they go in for the surgery, they just make a snap decision and it's like, oh, you know, I need a knee replacement. And if they had just come in and gotten some stem cells, I mean, it, it's, it's night and day. That, that's just one, uh, one particular use case for the, for the, for the uh, technology. 
That's amazing. Well, anyone that's listening that's interested in something like this, you know, there's a ton of research out there about this. Um, there's Geostar, so definitely reach out to Shelly and Nikhil about this. I have one last question before I let you go. If you're okay with talking about this, what does your treatment plan look like right now? Um, yeah, so right now, I mean, I am taking a, um, I'm taking a mood stabilizer. I am taking a, um, you know, antidepressant uh and I, you know, for sleep, it's, it, I'd, I'd say the toughest thing for me right now is uh, just managing sleep. And so um, for, to try to address some of the things that uh, just make it on an ongoing basis, I've, done a, I've been doing a lot of uh, meditation. Uh, I would say I do about anywhere from 15 minutes in the morning to about an hour. And I just feel that this gets my whole body on the right track because of, you know, just focusing on the breath uh, in the morning for that amount of time uh, can really just uh, set me on the right track. Uh, because I think that when we go through the day, especially if you're somebody who has bipolar disorder, uh, it's the sympathetic uh, nervous system is on overdrive. You know, we're just constantly in this fight, flight or freeze mode. And that's something that I struggle with. You know, I mean, it's just I because I'm like um, a lot of people these days, I mean, social media is a big problem. And so um, it factors into my day-to-day -day work also, because obviously, you know, handling marketing. Uh, so there's, it's that, it's that struggle because I'm trying to cope with a lot of these uh, notifications and a lot of these, uh, you know, need for dopamine right away, just act on something. Uh, so meditation is probably, um, Meditation is an extremely important part of that uh, that equation. Um, there is also something that I don't know if you're familiar uh, with uh, the whole concept of like inner child healing. Uh, that's something mm -hmm. that I've toyed with, but I think um, Sean and I have been discussing this also. It's just something that before you can address a lot of these uh, weightier topics, I think you really need to get to the root of it. And address what are the reasons why what are the reasons you're grabbing that Snickers bar? What are the reasons, you know, you're 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 having that gin and tonic? Why are why are you um, in, indulging in these uh, in these less than ideal behaviors? A lot of it is because your inner child hasn't healed, and so that's something um, that I'm looking into uh, a little bit more as well. And I'd say finally uh, is uh, is obviously you know cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, I have a great therapist right now that I've been seeing for the last uh, five years, and uh, I think, and that's that's something that not to not to do a plug, but I'm going to be talking to one of my uh, friends who is a uh, clinical psychologist about the things that are really important to look for in a in a good therapist. Um, so so yeah, I think uh, in a nutshell, that's uh, my treatment plan. Mm. So uh, I know I said I had the one question, but now I have more. Sure. <laughs> but I'm going to try to keep you short because sure, we're sure almost <laughs> we're almost at the one hour mark. Yeah. So I'm going to try to get it get this done. Um, so you mentioned a couple of times across website, podcasts, etc. This term, family mental health. Mm -hmm. This is a two part question. Can you and this can come from either of you? Can you define that term? And then also number two, what can you do to maintain family mental health? So. I feel like one of the most important things that people need to recognize is that the entire family or, you know, their partner or loved one of the person who is suffering from mental illness needs to take a very active role in their health. 
And if you look at it from probably a Western perspective, it it sounds invasive, it it sounds controlling, it, it sounds intrusive, but really it's it's the most important thing because you know otherwise the clinicians out there are not going to get a full 360 degree view of what's going on with this particular patient or loved one and and so that can lead to a misdiagnosis it can lead to cycles of depression or mania if it's bipolar it can lead to other problems if it's anxiety or depression um, and and so that's one of the the most important things I would say with regards to family. The other thing that is so, so critical that I don't think, you know, we would be here today is to have that emotional love and support and the unconditional love. And, you know, that unconditional love can come from anybody, including your own spouse. And and the, the thing is with marriage, we always say in sickness and in health, but does that really include mental health? Probably not, Mm. because when that other person becomes abusive or becomes angry or volatile or whatever it may be because of the mental illness, we kind of cut and run in society. And we make it about ourselves and and we're driven by our own ego and our own need for, you know, um, praise. And, you know, we, we don't want to feel so horrible. We don't want that feeling, feelings of inadequacy that that person is making us feel and remember. You know, they're bringing out our insecurities. They're, they're bringing out some of the things that we can't handle as people. And so you have to have that strength and that ability and that courage to overlook it and to be able to come together as a family and um, have that unconditional love. Yeah, it reminds me of something that you said earlier, Nikhil, about this collectivist culture. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say it works both ways, too. I mean, because Mm -hmm. it's like there also has to be boundaries. And that's I don't know. I mean, I feel very fortunate that we were able to strike that balance because, you know, it can go from concern to over-involvement to codependency. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'd like to say we've cracked that code, but it's something that I'd say every family probably struggles with. And in our, in our culture, especially because this is such, this is really uncharted territory. I'd say it's really definitely a tough, uh, tough thing to navigate setting those boundaries. I agree. It's a merging of East meets West and, and being able to take the good things from the West and the East and kind of combine them and understand how to have a balance because he's right. You know, you cannot be so overbearing either. There's that balance of, you know, having some fixed boundaries. But I think the most important thing is for the couple, like if so somebody is suffering from mental illness, one of the spouses or whatever, to create those boundaries with their family and friends and create it with love. And create it with understanding and, and not animosity or hostility. But this is where we're coming from. This is what we need to be able to get to the next step. So I think there's a level of maturity that needs to come with that within the family unit and the marriage itself, which we back then, frankly, didn't really have. Shelley and Nikhil, I... I can talk to you both for hours yeah. about this. Same here. Yeah. I don't think our listeners want to listen to us talking for hours, but this has been so great. Thank you so yeah. much for being on the show. I have learned so much from you. I want to be like you when I grow up. I'm 30 years old. I'm like, I need to grow up. 
<laughs> this is this is amazing. Um, so listen, where can we find you, listeners that want to reach out to you? So we can find us at Geostar Chicago, G-I-O-S-T-A-R Chicago.com. Or you can find us at Shelly Sood, S-H-E-L-L-Y-S-O-O-D.com. Or you can hear our podcast at The Shelly Story. Or you can reach me via email. Yeah, and then we're also, um, it's kind of a work in progress right now. But as of today, uh, our social media profiles, we're on uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, but Instagram and uh, Twitter are probably the most active, but I would say uh, that's currently under uh, The Shelly Story. Okay, I'll put those links in the bio as well. So anyone who needs to reach out, you can do that. We love hearing from you. That is the end of our episode, Bondus. We hope you enjoyed this. And thank you so much for joining us on this journey. If you'd like to reach out to us, we can be found on Instagram and Facebook at The Desi Condition and on Twitter at TDC Podcast underscore. You can also email us at thedesicondition at gmail.com or visit our two websites, tdcpodcast.com and of course our Desi Creatives directory at desicollaborative.co. Stay safe, stay warm, make good choices, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us.